about worship. Good, good stuff. Very good. We have the piano, the piano team and uh, all the sky named Nikki Ford voted best hard rock guitarist in Atlanta 2009. It's really weird. Tuner of the Stars is on his business card. So thank you, Nikki Ford. All right. Man, it's good to see you. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor. If uh, if you're new with us, welcome. Each Sunday we have a guest reception uh, after every service. So if you're brand new or you've been around for a little while and just want to know who are these people, uh, you can meet some of us uh, right after the service out the lobby to the right. It's a nice room with cool couches. And my office is tucked away in a corner back there so you can uh, leave me candy or whatever you would like. Um, so it's good to, good to have you if you're a guest. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're in a series on prayer. This, I think, is the final week. Uh, it just keeps lengthening as we go. Um, we have two more weeks until like a series begins that takes us all the way to Easter. Uh, it's a series called The Emotional Jesus that we've been putting together for a long time. And it's just six uh, events in the life of Jesus where he just gets emotional. And so we're going to look at that all the way up to Easter, almost like a Lent series, but uh, you'll, you'll hear some more about that in a couple weeks. Next week, kind of open, so um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'm, I think I have some things to say, so if you'll come back next week, you might, I don't know, you might get something. Um, but today, let's talk about some prayer again. Is that good? We've been talking about prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, this is the central teaching on prayer from Jesus. And let's just read it once again. I'll read it. You follow along. Uh, Jesus teaches about prayer in this way. And when we pray, do not be like the hypocrites. It's the Greek word for actor. So Jesus is making some humorous, like don't be this guy, don't be that guy when you pray that needs to perform, that needs response from the people watching, right? He says, don't be like them, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. That's what they want. That's the reward they want. So he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, which is to be seen and heard and applauded. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What's the reward? The reward is a deepening, a deepening relationship with God. When you pray, the primary purpose of prayer is to deepen the relationship that you have with God. That's it. That's why you pray. That's why you stop the things that you do and you speak to God. So when you pray, when I pray, when we pray, we're deepening the relationship that we have with God. So that's the reward. That's what you'll get is a growing, developing relationship. He goes on, verse 7, and when you pray... Don't keep on babbling like your grandfather at the dinner table before Thanksgiving, and he just keeps praying because he hasn't prayed all year, so he's making up for lost time. Like pagans, for they think that they will be heard for their many words, as if God is old and deaf. Do not be like them, for your father already knows what you need before you ask him, which raises all sorts of questions. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've talked about a bunch of things this series. 
One, praying alone is deepening of the relationship. Two, we've talked about praying with people in community, in circles, holding hands. It's awkward, but we pray with people because when we do that, it removes me from the center of my prayers. If I'm praying alone, I'm going to go to me. I mean, I might pray for you, but I'm going to end up at me. And so that's just a natural thing. So when we pray in community, we end up praying outside of ourselves. Even if you're the one being prayed about, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me enough times, but even if someone in the group says, I think we should pray for Derek, and they throw me in the middle, or they throw you in the middle, and then everyone gets around you and puts their hands on you, which is also awkward, and they begin to pray for you out loud, the last thing you are thinking about in that moment is you. You're thinking very outward thoughts. You're thinking this is humiliating in sort of the best sense of the term. So even if you're being prayed about, it's a sense of, you feel this sense of bigness in the community of God's people. You don't feel solo or isolated. You feel a part of something bigger than yourselves. Last week, our friend and rabbi took the stage and he taught us uh, some things from the Lord's Prayer. But the thing that I took away from it was how when Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. There's uh, this tradition of the teacher passing on the prayer to the student. And so when Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples, it's their prayer to pray which connects them to the person and the mission of Jesus. That's heavy stuff. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on, it's this mark of Jesus on our lives. Like when we're speaking these words, it tells people that, oh, we're part of the Jesus situation. So if you go to lunch today, if I went to lunch today at, um, I don't know, Roasters, that sounds good. Mm. <laughs> Who's with me? All right. So I go to Roasters and the food hits the table and I stand up and I just start in. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I do the whole prayer. And maybe some people do it with me, I don't know. But I do the whole prayer. At the end of the prayer, everyone in the restaurant, or at least most of them, will say, that's the Jesus prayer. That's the Lord's prayer. Or if they're not, if they have no connection to faith, they'll be like, that guy's just weird. Either way, it's the same. That's the Jesus prayer. Today, I want to talk about uh, a fourth component to prayer, and it's this component asking for stuff. When we pray, we ask for stuff. Prayer is essentially a request. Like when we talk to God, we're requesting things every time, whether it's forgiveness, direction, healing, encouragement, reconciliation. Uh, I need some decisions, some help with some decisions for wisdom. We're always requesting. Maybe you're like a really good prayer, and you start praying, and you are just praying uh, you're just telling God how great he is, which is a fantastic way to pray. Um, and you're doing that. Eventually, you will get to the list of things that you need. Again, they may be great things. Again, forgiveness, mercy, direction, healing, and so on. So prayer is essentially, at its core, requesting of God. So when you hear the phrase... Uh, when you pray, ask. Or what do you think of when you hear the phrase, when you pray, ask? 
you think, what comes to your mind when you hear the words, <laughs> is that what you think about? I, I mean, sometimes you do. And it's just asking God for things, perhaps that you think you need, maybe that you want. And sometimes prayer gets reduced to, I really need the Mercedes or the TV the relationships. Um, a bit of preface before we get into really the meat of today. This particular day was supposed to be solely devoted to uh, God answering our prayers, in which we'll talk about for some, for some of it. But the truth is, it's very, very difficult for us on this end of uh, where we live in our lives to know all the answers to why God says yes sometimes and no sometimes. I kind of think he says no most of the time. Uh, perhaps because we don't really know what we need. And we just keep asking for cars and TVs and boyfriends and money and health. And all the list is long. And maybe we need those things. And maybe sometimes God knows that we need those things. There, I've certainly been in communities of people where the need really was at the base of vehicle. They just need a vehicle. And so we pray and we find them a vehicle, right? But I don't need a vehicle. And so it's not my prayer. And so sometimes there are needs that don't seem like needs to us and needs to others. And maybe, maybe that's how God differentiates between who needs what and how he'll give or not give. But most of the time, I, at least I think, God says, I don't think so. Because I think we struggle with what we really think we need. And so in the Lord's Prayer, I mean, there are these great examples in the Bible, like um, Hezekiah. He's deathly ill. He knows he's dying. And he's mad about that. And so Isaiah is the prophet in that time, and they're hanging out in the room, and Hezekiah prays for more life, like you do. Um, so Isaiah is leaving the room, as in, like, whatever, it's over. 
And the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, actually, turn back around, go tell Hezekiah, I heard his prayer, I'm going to give him 15 more years. So he does that. What a great, like, I mean, that's amazing. So he turns back around, he's just like, he goes to Hezekiah and he says, psych, you know, you got 15 more years. But that's just not often, you know. And, um, and there are all kinds of like, I listened to and read hundreds of things and listened to 15, 20 sermons and, on how God answers prayer, how he doesn't answer his prayer, and there's just not a consensus, right? I think it's because it's God. Like, how do we know? Like, what, what are we supposed to do with that question? And, um, but there are a few things that I think are true. I mean, they're just true in all of our situations, but and you know, I was real tempted, like, there's, I know you're probably thinking, I know how he answers prayer, yes, no, maybe, right? That's how he does it. But of course that's how he does it, that's how we all answer requests. I mean, my son comes to me and he says, can I have this? And most of the time as a parent, I spend my time saying no. Because he's nine, he doesn't know that he can't play on the roof, he's just not good for him. And uh, so I spend most of my time as a parent saying no, to which, you know, he throws his fist in the air and says, what a cruel and unjust father, you know. But he doesn't, it's just because he doesn't know. And so there might be some connections there. That we are so passionate about what we think we need. And God, as a parent, as a father, is saying under his breath, are you crazy? You don't, you don't, I know you think you need that, but you don't. And I just think that that's most of our, I mean, would you agree? That's been most of your, when you pray, you just sort of like, it just doesn't always happen. And then sometimes he just comes in and just blows us away with answers. We would just say he's answered the prayer. Now, C.S. Lewis would say that all prayers are answered. Sometimes they're granted, sometimes they're not, but that is an answer. And um, so sometimes that happens and we get to witness like just some really amazing, some amazing answers. Um, so we'll explore that uh, for a moment. All right, Lord's Prayer, are you ready? That was a tangent, that was free, it's not in my notes. All right. Jesus gives us four things to pray for. Now these are requests. So in the Lord's Prayer, it's anchored with these four things to pray about. These are things that we can come to God and ask Him every time, Right? And so I just want to break these down. I'll put them on the slide for you. It's uh, kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. Bread, give us today our daily bread. Freedom, forgiveness, we'll talk about how that connects. And then strength, this is about the temptations, the trials. These are the four things in the Lord's Prayer. So the outline really just comes from the Lord's Prayer today. But these are the four things that Jesus tells us when we pray, pray about these things. These are the requests, like the first part of the Lord's Prayer is simply just the name of God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it moves to these four requests. Your kingdom come, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, right? freedom from sin, and then strength to get through these temptations and trials and so on. Those are the four things. So let's just talk about these. I say let's like you're going to talk, but let me just talk about these uh, for a few minutes and then we'll close uh, with communion today. 
kingdom. What is this? When you hear the word kingdom, we think about power. We think about jurisdiction. We think about um, this person has uh, control. We think about North African leaders right now hanging on to their kingdoms. Are you with me? So when we hear the word kingdom, we think that. It's strong-fisted, it's domination, it's expanding of the kingdom. But Jesus teaches something about what's called the kingdom of God, which has also been misinterpreted in history and has resulted in all sorts of bloodshed. But the true meaning of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is simply the way of God in the world. So the kingdom is, and Jesus taught most about the kingdom. People say that he taught most about money. He actually talked most about the kingdom, and money fits into kingdom principles. But the kingdom of God is the way of God. It's things like justice, mercy, peace, forgiveness, salvation, love. It's all those things. But bigger than that, or those things, is that the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it in his gospel, is the God's original intent for creation happening in the midst of the world right now. Because it doesn't take like, it doesn't take a lot of, uh, you don't have to be too savvy to step back and say, I don't think everything in the world is as it should be. That doesn't take much, it doesn't take much thought to figure that out. And even if you're not like a follower of Christ or even a person of faith, we say those things. This is not right. What's happening right now overseas is just it's, it's not right, it doesn't feel right, which is in itself this sort of built-in ideal that we're all quite aware of, that there must be some intended purpose for this that's better than what we're seeing and witnessing. So the kingdom of God, when Jesus teaches about the kingdom, it's about God's ways winning in a world that's very far removed from what it was intended to be. So some people say it this way, it's the ways of God, it's the kingdom of God bursting forth in the midst of this one. That's a great phrase. Or it's God's intended purpose for his world happening here and now. That's the kind of kingdom thing that Jesus is talking about. And so he begins teaching us about asking in prayer with that, like pray that his kingdom come. So it's this great uh, request of God that his ways prevail, that his ways win in the world. And of course that includes our own lives, like in our lives, in our relationships, in our work, in our church, in our neighborhoods. God, we pray that your ways come to life here. But it's also a prayer of imagination. Because when we imagine that it can be better, when we imagine that uh, God has something better for us in this world than we're experiencing, we're acting, we're, we're participating in that kind of thinking kingdom stuff. One theologian said it this way, when the church gathers, she, is, she engages in alternative imagination. So if a church service, if a church community, if a church, if a church's life is so like the rest of the world, there's no imagination in that. There's no thinking about kingdom in that. And so when we pray kingdom, we're praying for God to change things. We're praying for the story to shift. We're praying for his ways to happen in the world. Uh, if you were with us in January, we did our neighboring series, and we gave you some homework 
uh, which many of you did, and we gave you these cards that said, look, just walk your community for an hour, and on the back of this card, write down things that you see. And of course, the intent here was to have your eyes opened to um, your neighborhood in a new way. Maybe there's some things here that uh, God would have me do, right? Uh, so once that went out and people started doing it, I started getting emails in, uh, from some of you. And the first stream of emails I got, this person walked their neighborhood and then they wrote me this email and it was this long. And the tone of the email was um, very guilty. They felt very guilty, like that they hadn't noticed their neighbor before. I mean, it wasn't the intent to feel guilty. But, and then they just outlined, like, there's this, and there's this need, and I noticed this and that, and oh my goodness, where have I been, sort of thing. I've been here 10 years, and I've never seen these things. And so in the email exchanges, uh, I basically said, at the end of it, I said, sometimes you learn about the kingdom, like you know what it is, like right now I'm just sort of teaching from stage to you what the kingdom is, or at least a portion. Sometimes you learn about it, and you understand it, but then sometimes you run into it, and sometimes you see it, and sometimes you notice it. And you're like, oh, that's what God is talking about when he talks about kingdom. His way is happening right here in the midst of my life. As a pastor, my job is to, one of my jobs is to notice the ways of God happening in our community, our church community. To be able to say, there it is, right? There was a need, people prayed, and it got met. There it is, the kingdom bursting forth in the midst of our own church. That's it. Or forgiveness, reconciliation, the marriage. It almost died. There it is. God's intended purpose for relationships happening right here in the midst of a world that's breaking in relationships. Forgiveness, reconciliation, mercy, justice. When we see it, we tell the story. There it is. That's the kingdom. And Jesus says when you pray, if you're going to ask for anything first, it's that God's ways happen. Let me um, read to you. This is a great little book. You should get it. It's called The Lord and His Prayer. N.T. Wright. Um, it's a long passage about what it means to pray, Thy kingdom come. But let me just read the last part here. When we are praying this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, as Jesus was praying and acting, we are praying for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, which is a picture of the final days. And for God to be all in all, that's the prayer. And then he closes with this, and when we pray this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way. So to pray your kingdom come, it's a partnership prayer. Like this involves me. And on earth as it is in heaven, it's just natural to assume that the earth we're talking about is the one that I'm inhabiting, correct? And therefore that has something to do with me living out these ways. And so when we pray and when we request, we should request, and Jesus is suggesting First, maybe go here. Pray outwardly. Pray for the world as you see it. Pray for the world around you. Pray for God's ways to come into play. Secondly, he talks about praying for bread. Give us today our what? Daily bread. As Derek talked from the stage last week, the other Derek, um, in the ancient Near East, daily bread was important. This was something that didn't come easy, and so that prayer was very familiar 
We just want to eat today, right? We just need food for today. And so part of this is very relevant for that time. But again, this is about, you know, bread, what bread symbolizes here is everyday needs, your basic needs. And this is where it gets muddy for us because, again, we don't often know what we actually need. A friend of mine in uh, Manhattan just did a series where they challenged their church. I'm stealing this. This might happen this fall, so just hang on. Uh, they're preparing for what their Beyond Sunday is. We do a thing here every November called Beyond Sunday where we take up money and we give it to mission work, all of it. And um, they do the same thing, but in the spring. And so in prep for that, they did this thing where they challenged their whole church to live on $2 a day, which is the average around the world. And so um, you got to eat on $2 a day. I didn't know if it was like a weight loss campaign like for the pastor, but... I might, I might take that up. All for the Lord, for smaller genes. Um, but what does that teach you? What does that ultimately teach you if you can survive that week on $2 a day? What does that teach you? It teaches you that maybe you don't need $50 a day, doesn't it? And so when we pray for daily bread, we are often, as Westerners, it's very skewed for us. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And then we come outside of our culture and go, I don't need that. I thought I needed that. But again, it can be, other than, it can be things other than physical stuff. I need this relationship. I need this house. I need this job. I need this career. I need this, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe we do, but oftentimes maybe we don't. And so the intent here for give us today our daily bread is to really focus on what our needs truly are. First Timothy, uh, Paul says it this way, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be what? Content. Next slide. Therefore, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, easy enough. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own and we all say amen to that. So even Jesus is saying, look, it's not that the planning for the future is bad, just you have enough to worry about today. You have enough to think through now. And so the prayer here is that we just really get very introspective about what it is that we need. And here's, here's the phrase that I sort of put together for you. The hope in this, or the journey in this type of daily bread prayer, is that I would eventually move from really needing my wants to really wanting my needs. Does that make sense? That's the transition, the personal transformation from I really have to have what I want to I really have to have what I need. But there's also a spiritual component here. Notice uh, John chapter 6 uh, on the screen here. It says, uh, or Jesus says, I am the what? The bread of life. And so some of this has a deeply spiritual component that we are connected to the bread of life, Jesus, the God of the universe. So this daily bread prayer is not just for food, but also for spiritual food as well. So when Jesus says, ask these things, kingdom, bread, he also says pray for freedom, forgiveness, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We'd like to leave that second part out. 
but forgive us our debts. This is the prayer for forgiveness. This is the prayer for uh, the dysfunctional life of sin that we have. Now, the word forgive uh, in the Old Testament is connected to uh, the issue of divorce. And so, if you are, if your marriage is going bad, and it's this cycle of dysfunction that keeps leading to stress factors in your marriage, um, what they did in the Old Testament was you signed a paper of divorce, much like we do today. Now, here's the reason. One, it ended the marriage, so forgiveness is actually about ending. But two, it gave the, the spouse, particularly the wife, because in the ancient culture, if you are a wife and you get divorced, you have no life. You can't work, you can't remarry, you can't do anything. And so the divorce paper actually gives her her life back. So now she can go and work and remarry and date and just not walk around with this big D on her chest for divorced. And so the divorce paper, the divorce proceedings, the divorce procedure actually gave the wife her life back. Freedom. Freedom from being forever the girl who can never live again. And so forgiveness, this word forgive, this legal word that means to end, to cut off, to separate from, it ends the cycle of dysfunction. The narrative of sin is cut short with forgiveness. That's the idea. Forgiveness is the end of the story of sin, and the cross is the great divorce. And so when Jesus says, pray for forgiveness of sins or debts, as he says, and the word debt is just maybe even better than sin, is it not? We owe something. And in the first century, debts were very well known, as we know them today as well. So this is very relevant both then and now. But Jesus says, go here, pray for forgiveness. Bring yourself back to the foot of the cross and remember what was paid for your debt. And the great thing is, I don't have this on the screen for you, but the scriptures tell us that if we come to God and we ask for forgiveness, then he will, he will forgive us. And the cross is itself this reminder that he always forgives. Always forgives. Finally, Jesus says to pray for strength. Lead us not into temptation. The word temptation in the New Testament really means uh, like a crossroads. Like you have to make a decision. One way will be the right way and one way will be the wrong way. And so you're at a point in your life where you are struggling with what is the right move, right? But this word is very, it's, it's very broad. It's temptations, it's trials, it's difficulties, it's persecution, it's all sorts of things. If you turn back to Matthew 5, Jesus says it this way, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. He goes on to say, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. He also says uh, later in the gospel, in this life you will have trouble, period. So suffering is inevitable. Misery is optional. But suffering is inevitable. And so the prayer here is for strength to get through those times. That's the idea. Now, I like to say it this way. I like how it, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer ends with this because those first three may or may not happen all the time. 
God's ways sometimes don't win, right? Forgiveness can be a struggle. Daily bread can sometimes go unmet. And so there's this prayer for strength to get through the times when the other things aren't working right, when life isn't working right. The prayer to sort of hang on in the midst of really difficult times. Because sometimes, again, God's ways, they don't win. Sometimes she dies. Sometimes the marriage fails. Sometimes, I mean, here's the thing. I've been a pastor for a long time, going on 20 years. Every single death is preceded by a prayer that they live. Every time. I've stood in circles and prayed with people live and they die. Every youth group that crashes the bus on the way to the ski retreat from the church was preceded by a prayer for safety. Every marriage I've ever done and been to prays for the health and the longevity of the relationship. And almost every divorce is preceded, whether months or years ahead, with prayer that it just goes well. Every time. So sometimes it doesn't work out. And Jesus says you need to pray for strength. In Matthew, later in the gospel, um, we'll deal with this in the Emotional Jesus series, but in verse 36 of chapter 26, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and, two, and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Cup is a symbol of suffering and so can this trial be taken away from me? Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then <laughs> he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He wakes them up. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into what? Temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And it's true. So this prayer is for strength through those difficult times. Finally, turn to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 12. Again, I read a lot of stuff. I thought to myself quite a bit about answered prayer versus unanswered prayer. There just aren't, ultimately there just aren't a lot of satisfying answers. Um, I, I would give you just a few things, and these are just from my own life. You can all, I mean like if, if what you're praying about is already been taught about and is very clear in scripture, you know, like, you don't need to pray, Lord, should I love my neighbor? Like, you don't need to do that. So you're off the hook there. Um, 
And so there are just all these things that you can probably seek the word and find your answer before you even say anything. Um, should I do this? Should I go there? Should we enter this sort of thing? You might, in many cases, you might already find you don't need to pray about it. You need to pray maybe for the strength to do it, but not so much should you do it. I also think that prayer is, uh, is very much a partnership with what God is doing. And so, for example, when we pray, maybe change your prayers to this, like instead of, you know, someone always come to me or you and say, hey, pray for so-and-so, they really need encouragement. And that's okay. I will. I'll pray for them. But maybe perhaps it's better that you're writing a note to that person and the prayer is, God, through this action of me writing this note and sending it to them, they will be encouraged. Does that make sense? partnership. It's not, oh, I got to go, but God, if you'll do this. Um, so if you are struggling with an addiction, you may pray your whole life for that to go away, and it may never go away. So maybe the prayer is, God, give me the strength to get the help. Or God, as I take the steps to get the help, that you are with me every step. Does this make sense? And I have often found, again, in my own life that I discover and see God answering the prayers not so much like before anything happens, like I just sit around and pray the prayer and look around, like Jonah when he went to Nineveh and he just left and just looked at it and watched Nineveh like waiting for something to happen. Sometimes I pray like that where it's just like, God, I need this, and I just sort of watch and look. Uh, a friend of mine at my last church, we struggled with prayer a lot as a staff and we were praying about everything, you know. And there was all these different philosophies about prayer at the staff table. We pray and wait. We do this and whatever. And one of our wise staff members, it wasn't me, said, uh, sometimes God opens a door, and we see that. Um, and sometimes you pray for an open door. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes he opens a window, right? And then he said, but sometimes God just wants us to knock down the wall to make a door because it's in making the door that we grow in our faith in him okay i'm just gonna i'm not getting anything i'm not hearing one way or the other so i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go for it and then it's in that process of like man i'm just hanging out here i'm just going for it jumping off the dock then we you know it's peter come to me on the water right well let's talk about the theological ramifications of this jesus no he has to step out right so sometimes the answer is found in the faithful steps forward. Funny story. College, very customary for our professors in seminary to have prayer before class. And we had this one class. My friend uh, Tim and I took this class together at like 8 in the morning. Anybody love those? Yeah. Big class, amphitheater seating. So I sat on the side. He kind of sat over here so I could see him facing. I'm facing the teacher. He's facing here. And... and um, he says, uh, he's doing some announcements, the teacher's doing some announcements, and the professor says, uh, Tim, would you open us in prayer? And um, so we all bow our heads, and Tim bows his head. And nobody's praying. So we're like, okay, maybe he's just sort of centering, really going into the presence of God. And I look up, and he's like falling asleep over there. 
and um, so it's just quiet, and I see the professor doing this, and I see him look up, and now we're all looking up at Tim. Tim's got his head down. We're all looking at Tim. And then Tim looks up and goes, me? Like me? <laughs> so, so here's the thing. <laughs> Not totally a lame story. Hang on. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Everybody was waiting on something to happen. Tim was waiting on something to happen when, in fact, he was the one that we were all waiting on to make something happen. And the guy who asked Tim to pray, although he didn't hear that, is waiting on Tim to pray, but Tim's waiting on someone else to pray. Both the professor and the student and the rest of us are waiting on something to happen. Is it possible, spiritually speaking, is it possible that we're waiting on God to do something while he's actually waiting on us to do something? Is that possible? Of course it's possible. So you can interpret that into your own life as much as you, or, you know, is relevant to your own situations. But sometimes prayer is, the answers to prayer are found as you take the necessary steps in faith um, to do that. And then again, also, sometimes there's just these great stories of the doctor comes in and says, it's kind of weird. I mean, it was here this morning. It's not here tonight. Uh, we're running some more tests, but as far as we know, it's all, it's weird. And sometimes that happens. But when God doesn't answer, I like this text. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, which is what happens when a parent gives everything their child asks for, right? To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, no one knows what this is, right? No one. Paul doesn't even tell us, but he does tell us how he feels about it. He says, a messenger from Satan to torment me and I'm assuming that somebody in the room, maybe all of us, have that one thing that just torments us. So Paul, as Paul does, he counts and keeps score. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I don't know if you've ever prayed those prayers, like, take this away. He's done it three times. I, I don't find that a lot, but I don't know about you. But Paul says that three times I pray God would take it away. But he said to me, God speaks back to Paul and says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Translation, you don't need what you're praying for to be taken away. You just need me. It's okay. And then Paul, like after much thought, I'm assuming between that verse and the next verse, he raised his fist at God and said, What an unjust and cruel God. But later he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. This sounds familiar. Jesus is teaching about this. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, I can't explain that to you. But those of you who are Christ followers and Christians and disciples of Jesus, you understand this, that in your own weakness, that's when he's made strong. So what Paul is saying is that somehow this prayer that has always been unanswered for him and that he had sort of let go at this point, whatever it was, it was a noticeable thing. 
to the people around him. A weakness, but somehow his effectiveness, perhaps, the way that God used him in various ways, it was a witness to the great power of God. So sometimes you don't get what you ask for because you don't need it. You need more of God's grace. And then maybe through your weakness, he'll be made strong. Does that make sense? This is the person who says of themselves, um, I'm always an alcoholic. It's always a struggle. I prayed that the struggle would go away, but it's always a struggle. But I fight it every single day. Do you see this? See what I'm saying? That in that weakness, the power of God is made known. Oftentimes we give up and just yield to whatever is tormenting us. But Paul is saying, and to us, the grace of God is sufficient for whatever weakness you have. Amen? So when we pray, we pray for kingdom, for bread, freedom. And when those things are difficult, we pray for strength. We're going to move into a time of communion. We do it each week, which is in itself a corporate act of prayer. This drama that we take part in every week where we come forward or back to the end of the the room and we take the bread and the juice. Uh, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the scriptures say that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And then he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it says after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. And, And then he said to his disciples at the table, this is the blood of the new covenant, a new relationship of forgiveness. And so Paul says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it's this active prayer of when uh, everything else seems at the bottom, we can come to the table and there's this message of redemption and forgiveness and salvation and strength. And it's just in the symbols of the bread and the juice. And so for a few minutes, we're going to do that and then sing uh, a song on the way out. And then I'll come up and uh, dismiss. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today and thank you for um, the freedom to pray and talk to you. And um, God, I pray for, um, or I thank you for uh, that gift, um, the relationship that we can uh, have with you and how it can grow deeper and deeper. And and God, sometimes we, uh, we pray for a lot of stuff and and, and they may be legitimate needs, and sometimes you say no, and it's a struggle for us. And so we pray for strength to make it through um, those, those transitions from, I really thought I needed this, to, okay, maybe, um, maybe, you're, maybe there's something in you that's enough for me. I don't know. So God, I just pray for each person in the room that is in that situation, that is really struggling with, waiting to hear from you and it's just been quiet God I thank you for um, the gift of grace and how on the cross it just displayed for all the world to see that you love us that, that you came and died for us to open up the relationship between us and you and 
part of that includes just talking to you. And, and so I pray as a church family that we grow in this, that we grow in our prayer life. So much that we would say that our life is just prayer. We just pray. God, in the next few moments, just encourage us as we eat the bread and drink the juice. Thank you so much for your son, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen.